The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is where we'll be found here this morning. And over the last several weeks, we've been studying, we began a study through the book of 1 Corinthians. We have entitled it Reset. And the reason for uh, the title of Reset is because we've learned that this book of 1 Corinthians is a letter, right? It's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote it to a church and to believers there in the city of Corinth. And the reason for his writing is because although the church started off pretty well. There was some good things that were happening. Many, 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 many people were getting saved uh, there in the, in the city of Corinth, and they were coming to know Christ as their Savior. Unfortunately, as time went on, there were some things that crept into the church that they started to go their own way and to try to do their own thing instead of what, of course, the Lord would have desired for them to do. And, and they needed to kind of refocus. They needed to reset, if you may. And so we said this. We said, uh, first off, that the Apostle Paul in chapter 1, he said, if the first thing that needs a reset is our focus, and that's our focus on who matters most. And in the first several verses in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, we find the reference to Jesus Christ over and over and over again. And uh, Paul's just trying to recall their attention and, to, and their focus back to Jesus Christ and to who matters most. But then he also, in the next few verses, he offered a prayer of gratitude. Now, we discussed the fact that Corinth was not perfect. We discussed the fact that Corinth had a lot of problems. But even though they weren't perfect and even though they had problems, Paul was still able to offer thanksgiving for who they were and what God was doing in their life. Now, my friends, today we understand that we are not perfect and the situations we encounter are never going to be perfect. But even in the midst of things that don't necessarily always go our way, they're not always perfect in our life, can we not still offer gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord for His work in our life in spite of all of that? Absolutely we can. And that's truly the only way we're ever going to have a real reset. Uh, if it doesn't start with focus on Jesus, and if it doesn't start with, our, secondly, with our hearts being reset to gratitude, to thanking the Lord for what He's doing and done in our life and going to continue to do, we don't have much chance uh, to really having a true reset beyond that. But in the next several verses, all the way through the end of chapter number one, the Apostle Paul has been working on helping them to understand that there are certain things, tangible things that were causing problems that had caused them to get off course and that was the, was the necessity for the reset. The first thing he addresses is division within the church, division amongst its members, divisions amongst b believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 11, the last few words there of that verse say that he heard that there was contentions among them. Now that word contentions is that would be that divisions, there was bickering, there was fighting, there was quarreling amongst them. And he's saying, listen, is Christ, he asks a rhetorical question pretty much next. Is Christ divided? Obviously, we know the answer to that is no, he's not. So if Christ isn't divided, then why is his people divided is what he's wondering. And so he starts addressing the issues to which was causing their problem, which was causing their division or contention. The first thing he addresses is the need to remember that eternal focus 
is always greater than a temporal focus. See, here the men and women of Corinth were focusing on what clique or what group they were a part of, what evangelist or preacher they had considered to be responsible for bringing them the good news of the gospel. Some were saying, I am of Paul. Some were saying, I am of Apollos. Some were saying, I am of Peter. But listen, those men, those preachers, only are going to live a particular lifespan. They're not going to live forever as in their physical human form anyways. One day, this physical body of theirs was going to die, just like your physical body is going to die and take the last breath, and it's going to be no longer. It's just temporal. And the things of this world, groups and cliques, they're just temporal. But the things of God are eternal. And so he says, listen, remember that eternal matters. The things that uh, eternal matters are greater than temporal matters. And when we get, our, when we get that focus flip-flopped, a lot of times we, when we put that temporal focus first, my temporal focus might be different than your temporal focus. And when they're different, we're going to fight about whose is better. And it's going to cause division. Then he went on to say, not only is eternal focus greater than a, a temporal focus, but also that God's ways and God's thoughts or his ability, if you may rather, God's ability is greater than man's ability. Because he goes on in the last part of chapter number one, as we learned last week, he's, preach, he's telling them about the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how Jesus had chosen to get that message to the people of the world. And uh, he, he, he literally said that in man's opinion, the message of the gospel and its process is foolishness. Now, we understand when he says foolishness, that's talking about how man would perceive it and that God's wisdom is much greater than uh, man's wisdom. And even in what man would think to be foolish, God accomplishes greater than anything man could ever accomplish. So his abilities, God's abilities are greater than man's. Unfortunately, aren't we prone to trying to figure out this life on our own sometimes? We try to do what we want or what we think is best and what we consider to work out the best. We've got our 10-year plan, our 15-year plan, and nothing wrong with planning as we already discussed. But when that plan takes the place of what God wants in our life, we've gotten off course and ourselves sometimes need a reset. Now, if I have a plan on how this church should look and you have a plan on how this church should look, but neither of those plans are God's plans, guess what? We're going to fight about whose plan is best, right? My plan is better than yours. No, my plan is better than yours. And it's going to cause divisions. It's going to cause contentions. Now, but if we all are on the same page and say, no, God's way is best. Let's just, let's just be uh, surrendered and yielded to doing God's plan. Then we're not going to fight about any of that because we're just surrendered to his plan. There won't be divisions there. But this morning, we're going to find that he's continuing on with this thought of the message of the gospel. And who would admit here this morning, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but just inside, in your heart, in your mind, who would admit that this world has a lot of different messages that, that preaches to us, doesn't it? It's all kind, you turn on the news and each different news station is going to have its message. There's going to be the conservative, there's going to be the liberal, there's going to be something in between, there's going to be all kinds of messages that are pushed out there and promoted. This agenda and that agenda and this, this ploy and that ploy and, and everybody's preaching their own way. But my friends, we must remember that God's message is always greater than man's message. Look at verse number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number one. Here Paul is saying to the believers at Corinth, he says, and I, brethren... When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. 
For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Notice verse number five. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but instead, rather, he says, but in the power of God. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. And Lord, I just thank you for the, 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 the absolute truth of your word. And the message that it declares. It holds the truth for our eternal salvation. It holds the truth on how we can live a life that would bring honor and glory to you right here and right now as we live and breathe. It holds the truth of what would be the case or, or the, the penalty for those who would die without you this morning. And Lord, I ask now that you just help us to focus on your word today, the message of your gospel, the message of your word that we would uplift it, that we would hold it near and dear to our hearts, that we would recognize that you have even exalted uh, your word above your own name. And uh, Lord, I ask now that you would help us to, uh, as we study your word, give me the word to speak as I deliver it, help your spirit to guide us to the truth here today, that it be drawn closer to you, that you be honored and glorified through everything that is done, that your will accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I think last week it put to rest any thoughts or ideas that our church is a church that focuses on preaching to make people feel good. Like if there was any doubt about that anyway, right? Because literally last week we talked about how man would consider the message of the gospel to be a foolish message. But not only that, but we also considered the fact that those who received it, then because of that, the world would consider the woes that received this message to be foolish also. And we focus on the fact that God will receive anyone the Bible is clear in Romans 10, 13, whosoever, that's anybody, that's me, that's you, that doesn't matter where you're, what your background is, where you've came from, what your uh, wealth status is, what your talent is, how skinny, how fat, what color you are, it doesn't matter. Whosoever means anyone, right? And so Jesus, the Lord said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We know that God will accept anyone who would trust him. But we also learned last week that oftentimes, God chooses to use those who the world would seem to think would be foolish, whom the world would seem to think to be a nobody, whom the world would seem to think to have no, no value at all. But God actually chooses to use those people who are the down and out, who are the outsiders, the outcasts, the ones that nobody else wants to do anything with. God actually rather chooses to use them to fully display his power through them so that when great things are accomplished through those kinds of people, only he gets the glory. And so here we are today, and we're gathered together again, and I, I'm glad to say, by the world standards, I'm a foolish individual. I'm a nobody, and you are too. Wow, that's good for your self-esteem. The preacher said, I'm a nobody. Yeah, that's, that, uh, that's what I'm saying. We put to rest the fact that we are not a church that worries about how you feel when you leave. Uh, we, we're, we're literally just wanting to re preach the word of God. Now, listen, listen, here's the deal. When we get on God's side on the matter, we're, we're, we're going to walk away knowing that we're doing his will and doing what he desires, and we will feel good about ourselves because of that. But my friends, where, where our world today oftentimes is all about boosting our self-esteem, I'm afraid that self-esteem has become the world's 
rebranding of the biblical word pride. And the word pride is actually a bad word in the Bible. Literally, the Bible says God hates pride. It was pride that caused Satan to be cast out of heaven when he was an angel. When he said, I will be like as the most high God. And his pride, he lifted himself up and was cast out in punishment. It was pride that caused Adam and Eve to take of the fruit that God had forbidden. God said, don't eat it. You can have anything else except for this. And Satan came along and said, no, he doesn't want you to be like him because he knows if you eat of it, you'll be like a God. And then the pride saying, oh, well, I can know better then. They took and they ate. And pride is what brought sin into this world and all of its problems that come along with it as well. Pride's not a good thing, my friends. And so when we understand that, we, we realize that when we accomplish anything, especially in the spiritual realm, when things at church, when we accomplish anything, it's not about us. It's about God working through us so that He might be able to get the honor, that He might be able to get the glory. And so one of Paul's key purposes for writing was to affect this change among the believers in Corinth. A change that says, it's not about me or the group I'm a part of or anything that I accomplish. It's about Jesus and what he's doing and what he's done. See, he uses this opportunity to declare that, listen, there's, there's got to be a sender of the message. Then there's going to be a recipient of the message. And there's going to be a message that needs to be received. We've already seen the sender. That's God. We've already seen the recipients, the foolish people that are willing to, according to the world anyways, that are willing to accept it. And now Paul focuses on cha in chapter 2 much on the message and the message of, of the Lord. And my friends, again, I want to just reiterate that God's message is always greater than, than man's message. Here's the deal, my friends. If, if we came to church and it was only about what I thought and what my opinion on the matter was, I'd stand up here every week behind this pulpit, and I would deliver to you my opinion, my ideas. Now, you haven't sat, some of you haven't sat down and chatted with me too long, but I don't have that many ideas. <laughs> so we wouldn't go very far if that's all it was, okay? Listen, listen. And if all I was preaching was my ideas, sometimes my ideas would go contrary to what your ideas were. Then all of a sudden, now you get to sit in the, in the pew out there and say, well, I don't like what he just said. You, you might say that sometimes already anyways. It doesn't bother me if that is the case because we're trying to just say what God says, right? But if it was just my opinion, if all I was preaching was my opinion, you sit there and say, oh, I don't like his opinion. Why, did you, why don't you like my opinion? Well, I, my, your opinion's different than my opinion. Well, your opinion stinks. No, your opinion stinks. See where we come from? Division, contention quarreling, fighting, bickering. When we start focusing on our own ideas and our own messages, which the world has plenty of them, and the world has plenty of them because it's made up of people, and you and I are people are also. So we all have our own ideas. We all have our own messages. If we're not careful, we focus on our own message over God's, and it causes issues. And Paul's saying, listen, remember, it's not about our opinions. It's not about our me message. It's about his message. And his message matters most. God's message is greater than man's. Notice with me, number one, as Paul is trying to describe that to the people of Corinth here in verses one and two, notice with me a proper determination. When it comes to the idea or the thought that 
God's message is greater than man's message. Paul declaring this thought came with a proper determination in mind. He says that he didn't come to Corinth with some type of superiority in speech. In fact, in, 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 he, he, come, he came and uh, just wanted to put cut and dry, clear and boldly, this is the message of God and nothing else. Now listen, apparently, apparently if Paul would have showed up in this church, our church today, Mountain Vista Baptist Church, if Paul would have showed up and I would have been sat down and let him preach, apparently Paul's preaching wouldn't be that impressive to us. Say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I'll explain what I mean in just a moment. But without throwing yourself under the bus, I want you to think in your heart, in your mind, maybe our church has had a special preacher come through. We had a revival service or something, and we've promoted it. We've had flyers made up to promote it. We've given it out to people. And we said, man, you're not going to want to miss one service of this special time together because it's going to be great. You're going to enjoy the preaching. The message is going to be great. It's, gonna be, it's just going to stir, stir your heart. It's going to be wonderful. And you're pumped up. You're excited to hear this preacher. You come in, you sit down, the preacher stands up, this brand new preacher, this guest preacher stands up. He starts preaching. You sit there thinking like, this was the guy that they said was going to be awesome. This is the guy that was supposed to stir my heart. Like, he's kind of dry. Now, listen, you laugh because you've probably been there. I'm not trying to say that you're, you know, getting, you throw yourself under the bus, but you've probably been there and you, were, you started judging the messenger instead of receiving the message. Now, listen, listen, here. Paul says he didn't desire for anyone to consider the messenger himself. He only wanted them to consider the message that he was declaring. And I'll prove this to you, and why I say that Paul probably wouldn't have been that, that great of a preacher in our estimation if he preached before us today, because in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the same group of believers, and he addresses his, his detractors, he addresses his opponents, and he actually quotes their words to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse number 10, you can turn over there if you want or just listen as I read, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 10, Paul is quoting the, uh, the words of his, of his opponents when he writes to the believers in Corinth again, and he writes these words. He says that his opponents say about him, for his letters say, that, say they, are weighty and powerful. So man, his opponents say, man, Everything he writes, they're pretty weighty, they're powerful, That's good read. it's a good read, he's a great writer. But notice what they say, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Wow, Paul the apostle of apostles, right? And here he says uh, that his opponents say of him, he's not a great speaker, he's really a pretty bad orator. And that's why I say if he would have stood before us today, we probably wouldn't be that impressed. But that wasn't Paul's purpose in the first place. He wasn't trying to impress us with how he could deliver a message. What he was trying to do was convey the absolute truth of the gospel message. And so that was his determination. And as Paul was, had this proper determination about uh, that God's message is greater than man's message, notice what the message avoided in verse number one. In verse number one, he said, I came to you not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He said, I didn't come with some type of uh, dog and pony show. 
I didn't come to you trying to put on the dog. I didn't come to you trying to wow you with how I would deliver the message and everything that I could do. And that isn't to say, my friends, that if we have the opportunity to stand before a crowd and deliver God's message, that we shouldn't do what we can to make it receivable, right? To make it uh, to where it's easy for the person that's hearing it to receive it. In fact, Paul, I believe, did that in many occasions. In different places, we find that everywhere he went, the method in which he delivered the message message might be a little different, but his message always stayed the same. But what he's saying is, I don't focus on making sure that all my T's are crossed and all my I's are dotted, that every point is alliterated uh, and all this type of thing, right? That's not a big deal to me, but what is a big deal to me is that every single person that hears the message understands, comprehends, and sees the importance, the absolute truth of the message. So he says, listen, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech, but further than that, he says, neither did I come to you with the wisdom of man. Now, where is Paul writing to? And where was he saying that he had come to preach the message of the gospel? A city called Corinth. Corinth, my friends, was a city full of Greek philosophers, full of the best of, Greek, of the Greeks' wisdom, And he's saying, I didn't come to you trying to spar with the philosophers of your day because I don't have to make the message of the gospel better than their message. It already is superior by weight of who who delivered the message, who who gave the message, Jesus Christ. And so his arguments for the gospel didn't rest on powerful oratory or a defense of, of his wisdom against anybody else's. It was true because of whose message it was the message of God. But notice what the message allowed in verse number two. For I determined not to know anything among you, save what? Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, he said, the only thing that mattered to me when I delivered the message was not, you know, that I, my, my grammar was completely correct, that I used, you know, uh, those $10 words in my message. I didn't, it didn't, none of that mattered. But what did matter? was that the name of Jesus was exalted and magnified. See, when we, when, when we focus our, what we do as a church around that as the central message, the central theme, the foundation of what we do, then we don't have anything to bicker quarrel about. But when we start making the central message my desire to be an activist for this cause, or an activist for this cause. Well, what if my cause doesn't match your cause? Why doesn't your cause get as much time as my cause does? Or my cause get as much time as you? See where division comes in? Because we want our message promoted. And that's not what we're here for, my friends. What we're here is to promote the message of Jesus Christ. Because God's message is greater than any of man's messages. So we've seen a proper determination by Paul concerning this message. Notice two, number two with me, though, a persistent display when it comes to this message. Verses three and four says this, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. 
See, as he displayed this message persistently, although the way he would, pro- 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 uh, would, would, uh, would uh, propagate the message, the way he would, uh, would share the message from place to place might be a little different method-wise, these things were always persistently displayed as he brought the message. One being a denial of human power. He said there in verse number three again, notice what he said. And I was with you in what? Weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now that doesn't sound like somebody that I'm going to spend a lot of money to go listen to, right? That doesn't sound like somebody that's going to draw a huge crowd. But that wasn't what drew a crowd, and that wasn't what Paul was interested in in the first place. It wasn't about promoting Paul and his brand. It was about promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he said, literally, I came to your city of Corinth, having just been through great persecution, having just not, I mean, I literally not, didn't see much, I didn't see much, many, many converts in the places previous to coming to Corinth. So I came to you actually in weakness. Now, perhaps Paul was, had some type of a physical ailment. Perhaps we know that he would write later on about a thorn in the flesh. And we are, some people argue about what that was. Was it a limp or was it a besetting sin and all that? None of that matters, but we do know that he had setbacks, things that kept him from being able to accomplish everything he would have wanted to accomplish in his own power. But that's the point, my friends, because in our weakness, guess what? He's made strong, the Bible says. And so here's what we find here is that he, he arrived in Corinth and he had some weakness, possibly physically, some ailment, some sickness that was hindering him. But God's power went forth in spite of his weakness because it was God that was doing the work, not him. Notice he also says in verse number four uh, or verse number three, but in fear and in much trembling. Now, if you've ever spoken in front of people, you know exactly what Paul's saying there. Whether it's, in the, whether it's in the church, whether it's at your workplace or whatever, and you got to stand up in front of a crowd, man, you've got what they call butterflies in your stomach. You're literally, your knees might be knocking uh, together as you're standing there. And no doubt, the more you do it, the easier it gets a little bit. But I believe, especially when you recognize the importance of the message, particularly spiritually speaking, when you recognize the importance of the message, you don't ever quite get over having those nerves. I stand up here every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night and such, whenever I deliver the Word of God, and there's always a sense of a little bit of, uh, I'm a little nervous about all this, you know what I mean? And uh, so Paul's saying, listen, I didn't have it all together. I I didn't tout myself as the greatest speaker that was alive in my day. No, I had some fear. I had, I was, uh, there was some trembling that was going about it as well. But notice that he persistently displayed a denial of human power, but he persistently displayed a demonstration of higher power. Verse number four said this, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. See, he wasn't relying on his own human wisdom. He wasn't relying on any human power. And knowing this, Paul did three things, I believe that could be an encouragement to us today. Knowing that it wasn't about him, but it was about God, first off, my friends, he showed up. Hey, listen, I believe about 95% of ministry opportunity that we get to do for the Lord starts with just simply showing up. How can we serve God? How can we deliver his message? How can we do anything for him if we don't show up, right? And when we show up, it shows our obedience to what God has called us to do. 
He says in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be, not might be, not could be, but ye shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. He says, you will be a witness for me. How can we be a witness if we don't show up? That means that I'm ready whenever I encounter my coworkers. I'm ready whenever I encounter my family. I'm ready whenever I encounter those in the community. And I'm just looking for opportunities that the Lord puts in front of me to be able to share his message with them. A message that is greater than any other. And I'm willing to do it. I'm ready to do it. Just be prepared. Just be ready to show up. But secondly, he also noticed that not only did he show up, he also proclaimed it. You ever been in a situation where you're like, okay, I'm ready. I, 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 I've got it. You're a little nervous about something. You're nervous about doing something. You get there. You're, you take that step forward. And I'm going to talk to that person. And you're like, nope, I'm not, I'm not talking to that person. And you, you, you were ready. You were there. But you kind of, no, Paul said, no, no, it's not enough just to show up. That, that's, that's more than half the battle, no doubt. But he was determined to continue in a higher power, God's power to be able to declare that message. I, I think also it's important to note that Paul wasn't, he wasn't flippant about it. He wasn't um, passive about it. You didn't see Paul get up in the morning, put on his witness wear t-shirt, strap on his WWJD bracelet, and then have his phone open on blaring his Christian music and then sit down at the park bench hoping somebody comes by and says, what must I do to be saved? All right. That's not, that's not how Paul went about it. Now, I'm, there's nothing wrong with witness wear. I have shirts that, 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 you know, speak about being a Christian and things. There's nothing wrong with the WWJD bracelet. There's nothing wrong with playing your music for others to hear, the Christian music. The world plays their music as loud as they can for us to hear, full of vile lyrics and all that type of thing. It's okay for others to hear that we worship God through our music as well. However, however, listen, I don't think that goes far enough. How, when was the last time anyone ever came to you and said, please tell me how to be saved? It's a very rare occasion. And that's not, the, that's not the example Paul set. Paul was purposeful, not passive, purposeful in trying to declare the message. Notice that uh, not only did he proclaim that message, and, but he proclaimed it boldly, expectantly. I believe that shows a matter of faith in Paul's attitude, that when he proclaimed the message that he believed God was going to do something with it. Now, we ought to go believing, my friends. We ought to, in faith, believe that God is going to work when we speak on his behalf. My friends, we see Paul as he's trying to get the church at Corinth to recognize and realize, hey, listen, God's message is greater than man's message. And we see his proper determination. We see his persistent display. But thirdly, before we close, notice a proper desire in this as well. Why, did he, why, is, he so, why is he so set on making sure that the message is the main thing and not the messenger? Well, look at verse number five, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. We see that this proper desire included to an extent a desire for exclusion. Now, when we talk about exclusion, that doesn't sound like a good thing all the time, does it? But sometimes for what is right, for what is, for some things just need to be left out. And he desired to exclude anything that could be said, Paul did this for me. 
or a man did this for me. That is to say, listen, he's reminding the church at Corinth that they could never say, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Peter, because it's not about the messenger, but it's about the message that saves. But he had a desire to exhibit. What did he want to exhibit? He wanted to exhibit the power of God. Since the beginning of this letter, Paul had repeatedly emphasized what man would call a foolish message, a foolish way of delivering it, foolish people for receiving it. But my friends, we got to remember this, that saving faith is ultimately grounded and rooted in the power of God. The Holy Spirit convicts our heart of the need of a Savior as we hear the gospel message. Jesus Christ himself said, if I be lifted up, not if the preacher's lifted up, not if the goals of the church is lifted up, not if a denominational name is lifted up, not if the color of my pew is lifted up, not if my wants and desires, no, if I, Jesus Christ, be lifted up, I, Jesus Christ, will draw all men unto me. And saving grace is rooted in the power of Jesus Christ. And the message of the gospel is centralized in the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done. Now again, my friends, I said as we began that we all can have our own wants and desires and we can proudly trumpet that message. And if I got up here every Sunday and just trumpeted my ideas and my message, it'd be easy for us to get in quarrels and fights and bickering because each and every one of our messages or ideas are going to be a little different. But when we just come to reckon the fact that the Word of God is absolutely true, and that's the message that we boldly proclaim, that's the message that we adhere to, that's the message that matters most. When we focus only on preaching the message of, of, of God Himself and none of our opinions, not of our ideas, but what God's Word says, we might not always like it at first glance, but if we are honest to reckon that it is the Word of God, then what is there really to fight against? You're not fighting against me at that point, and I'm not fighting against you. The only one we're fighting against at that point is God Himself. Now listen, the Bible tells us that Jesus Himself said in John 10 and 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. See, the, the Lord Jesus is proclaiming his message, and his people know his voice, and they hear it, and they follow it. Our world is constantly bombarding us with messages contrary to, the, to God's message. But for us as believers, we ought to be able to drown out the overwhelming messages of the world to hear that central, singular message from God himself. Because God says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You say, it's so hard, pastor. I'm being bombarded. I turn on the TV and I hear this message. I turn on the radio, I hear this message. I look on Facebook and I hear this message. I go on Instagram and I see this message. And everything else has all these different messages and it's always fighting. I'm like tossed back and forth, tossed back and forth. And I've, told, I, I've, I've likened to it like this before in the past, but it's like a basketball player. The, the arena is filled with hundreds of people and each of them an armchair, as they say, quarterback or coach. 
They're calling out the plays and they're saying, shoot the ball. And the other one's saying, pass the ball. The other one's saying, dribble. The other one's saying, full court press. The other one's saying, man, man defense, zone defense, all these different things. And everybody's calling it out. But the player on the court oftentimes is able to drown out all the white noise and over everything else hear the voice of their coach. How are they able to do that? Well, because every day in practice, the only message they're listening to is the message that their coach yells out from the sideline throughout the practice every single day. So that when everything gets chaotic, so that when everything gets loud and crazy and everybody else is trying to shout their message, it's all blocked out because all they're tuned into is the message that their coach has been screaming from the sideline to be able to accomplish what is best for the team. Now, my friends, I want to illustrate how important it is to listen to God's message instead of letting every other message in the world try to have a, pl a place in your life. This candle is going to represent you and I as we navigate this world. And the flame is going to represent the messages that come our way. One, half is, one side of the, is going to be uh, God's message. The other is going to be all the other messages that could be cast out to, uh, to our ears uh, throughout all that goes on in our world today. We've got both ends of the wick uh, this, uh, exposed here. And so as a believer, we've got God's message. We've got the world's message. We've got God's message. We've got the world's message. And we're trying to figure out which way is up and which way to go and well, God's message over here about how I ought to live, that sounds really good. But then other people over here are saying, well, love is love after all. And so this message, uh, just, that just feels right. And so I'm like, do I listen to this message? Do I listen to this message? And what do we do? We're like on a teeter-totter all the time. We're like, as they say, a termite in a wooden yo-yo. Don't know which way is up, right? <laughs> the, Bible, the Bible puts it this way, all right? The Bible says this, a double-minded man... God's message, moral's message. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And my friends, God's message is greater than man's message. Amen. We all have our own message. And if we promoted it only, we would all constantly fight. We wouldn't be here gathered together today because we'd have our own desires. We'd have our own opinion on what? I think we ought to have church at 7 in the morning. And another person says, I think we should have church at 5 in the evening so I can sleep all day long, right? And we trumpet that message. We have votes and we have committees and all these, and we're fighting and arguing, and it's all about our own ideas and own messages. And God says, put all that on the back burner because what matters most is the message of the gospel, God's message. Now, I don't know where you're at here this morning. You might be here and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. And you might have heard all kinds of messages from the world outside saying, this is how you can know that you have eternal life. You've heard messages that say, well, if you get in a baptistry tank and get baptized, somehow that water, that common every old, uh, every old day well water, somehow washes your sins away. You might have heard that if you do good things and your good deeds outweigh the bad ones, kind of like that candle was rocking back and forth, like a scale, like the, what was it called, Brother Tyler, up here for VBS, the... The Scalinator 3000 uh, for VBS. We put your deeds on it, and if your good deeds are heavier than your bad deeds, then God's going to give you a chance to come, to come into heaven and experience eternal life with Him. 
We've heard different things about, well, if you go to this place or do this thing, or, and there's all kinds of messages out there. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, let me explain to you the message of the gospel, the simple truth, absolute truth. That is that God loved you so much. John 3.16 tells us this, that he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. He died, he was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And he showed his power as God over death, hell, and the grave to provide a way for salvation for you, for you to be redeemed and reconciled, to have a relationship with God once again that had been broken. Now, that message is all about what Jesus has already done, while all the other messages in the world are about what you can do. My friends, you and I can never do enough to match up to God's perfection. So the true absolute message of the gospel is Jesus has already done it for you. Amen. If you trust him as your savior, he will save you. But maybe you're here this morning and you've already settled your salvation. You know for sure that heaven's your home. But constantly, constantly we battle with the messages of this is right or this is okay. This is how we ought to live our life. I'm thankful that God has given us his word, that we don't have to wonder at it. We don't have to figure out what feels best to us. We get to look at his word and say, thus saith the Lord. And his message always outweighs any other message contrary to it. And so maybe you're here and you say, man, I know what the Bible says, but I just, sometimes I don't like what the Bible says. <laughs> sometimes I just feel like if I would do it this way, it'd be better. Well, that's another message that's preached to us, isn't it? Another message that says, no, your way isn't better. What you, what you do or what you think is, be, you know, is better than God. We obviously know that's not true because the Bible says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And his way are better than our ways. So my friends, it all comes down to the, what message are we going uh, to listen to? What message are we going to accept? God's message or the world's message? Let me remind you, God's message is greater than man's. Would you stand to your feet with me today? With their heads bowed and our eyes closed. Before we dismiss this morning, I want to have a simple time of invitation. And how many here would say, Pastor, with my head bowed, eyes closed here this morning, I know for sure that I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. And if I were to die today, I'd spend eternity with God forever. Could I rejoice with you? Would you slip your hand up and write back down as a testimony to that? Hands all across this auditorium. Praise God for that. I'm glad to be in the presence of other believers today. But I wonder, is there anyone here who would say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. And I'm not 100% sure that heaven is my home. Uh, I know that, I, I think, I know that God is real, and I think I know that, uh, that he, say, he could save me, and He gave His Son for me, but I just don't know for sure. I have doubt that heaven is my home. Well, you know, my friend, let me share with you one verse. First John, the Bible says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. The Bible says that we can know. We don't have to doubt it. We don't have to question it. We don't have to ponder it. We don't have to wonder. But he says you can know for sure that you are saved and that you have a home in heaven. Maybe you're here and you don't know for sure, and I can't pray you into heaven. I can't get you there myself, but I would love the opportunity to just pray for you, that the Lord would continue to convict your heart of the need of Him that he would give you the faith to be able to trust him, that he draw you unto him today. And if you'd like to have me pray for you today, 
about how you could know for sure that heaven's your home. Would you just slip your hand up and right back down so that I could pray for you? I see several hands here this morning. Well, here's the, here's the, the case then, my friends. If you're here this morning and you're not 100% sure that heaven is your home, uh, then I want to do uh, this. I want to encourage you. I want to invite you even to do this. In a moment, I'm going to pray and the piano is going to begin to play. And if you're just not 100% sure and you'd like someone to take God's word, discuss with you what God's word says, not what Mountain Vista Baptist Church, not what the Baptist Church has regularly taught, but what God's word says about how you could know for sure that heaven is your home. I want to invite you to come down here to the front and get my attention and I'll have someone take the Bible, God's Word, and show you right from His Word how you can know 100% sure that heaven is your home, and you don't have to doubt it, don't have to question it. Maybe there's a little bit of fear. Maybe there's a little bit of concern. What are people going to think? Well, let me tell you this, my friends, that anyone here that knows Christ as their Savior is going to be elated that you have trusted Christ, that you desire to trust Christ. But if there's any question, if there's any fear, at the very least, would you do this, do this favor for me today? As we dismiss this morning, I'll be out in the lobby. I'll be shaking hands. And as you pass by me, would you at least say, Pastor, I need to know that, that Christ is my Savior. And that, that way, not in front of everyone, but right there, as where everybody's kind of leaving and going, we can get someone to show you right from the Word of God how you can know for sure that heaven's your home. One of two ways, I pray that you respond as God spoke into your heart today. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love and your goodness. And Lord, I ask now that you'd have your will and your way in this invitation and that uh, you would continue to speak to hearts as only you can. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano begins to play this morning, if the Lord has spoken to your heart and you're a believer, maybe you'd like to come and say, God, you know what? There's several things. There's several things that are constantly vying for my attention, trying to get, my, get their ideas into my mind. I'm constantly tossed to and fro with what is true, what is right, what is wrong. Pastor, just pray with me, please, that I would uh, just uh, continually always realize that God's message is greater, it's superior, that I would, that I'd accept it, even when I don't like it, that I'd accept his message over any of the messages that are sent my way from this world. Maybe you'd just like to come down to the front and ask God to help you with that, give surrender to him in that way. Maybe right there in your seat, you'd lift up your heart to the Lord as he's spoken to you today. If the Lord has used his word to convict your heart today, I hope that you'd respond. The God of all the universe, our creator, our sustainer, has taken the time through his word declared to convict your heart about some need, about some issue. Our right response is to get it right with him. Whatever that might be, that is our right response. So I pray that as the Lord spoke into your heart today, that you would respond accordingly. morning. We're going to be dismissed with prayer here at this time. And uh, I want to remind you again, though, our services tonight will start at 6 o'clock. We've got the children's choir beginning the service. We've got our teen um, 
choir going to be performing tonight as well. We've got the Teen Cafe after the service, and so I want to encourage you to make plans to be a part of that if you're able. Help support our youth group through that as well, and we're looking forward to having a wonderful afternoon and a great night tonight and all that the Lord has planned in store for that. So we're going to pray and ask the Lord's blessings as we are dismissed here this morning. And uh, I'm going to ask Brother Matt Bowen, since he's in the back, I think you've got a mic there with you also. Go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to bless us as we're dismissed this morning, please. Lord, you're so good, Lord. We thank you again for, for reminding us of your word, Lord, and that the message is, is so important to us, Lord, and that it's personal, Lord. And we just thank you for, for everything you've done, the sacrifice you made to, to give us your word and make a way for us, Lord. And, and we, just, uh, we just thank you for being able to meet again with other believers and encourage each other. And we just ask that you uh, get us home safe and, and bring us back here again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>